A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we, who have believed, enter the rest, in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage he says, They will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us, then, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It is a joy to be here, to be at home. This is my north side home, and uh, so we're thankful to enjoy you. Um, if you got your Bibles, would you go with me to Hebrews chapter 4? Let me bring the word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful to be in your house, this house of prayer, to be with the beloved, my brothers and sisters, Lord, most of all, we're thankful that you are here. Lord, as we are gathered in your presence, we open your holy word in which we find ourselves thirsty and hungry for it. We pray, God, that you would open the eyes of our heart. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I pray, Father, that you would breathe on this meager manuscript. Father, that you would speak to all of us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thankful for the reading already of God's word. There was a young man named Danny who was born without ears. He was born without ears, but he was able to hear. But his life was not normal. Most of his life, he experienced rejection and ridicule because he had no ears. Thankfully, Danny had loving parents who supported him, who loved him, and who was a strong, sustaining force in his life. When Danny went on to high school, the doctor gave him good news. 
said, Danny, there is a new procedure in which you can receive new ears. You can receive an ear transplant. That meant the world to Danny. Danny left that appointment with the doctor filled with so much hope and excitement. But Danny found out what many individuals find out who are on the list waiting for organ donation. That is long, arduous. But Danny didn't give up hope. Danny went off to college and still believed that one day he will receive new ears and a new life. About a year into college, his dad called him and said, son, I want you to rush to the hospital. Then he got to the hospital, took some tests, prepared for surgery. And when he woke up and when he was able to take off the bandages, he stared in the mirror, looking at his new ear and his new life. Maybe a half a year later, his dad called him again and said, daddy, I need you to get on the Quickest flight back home. Your mother is sick. Daddy got on the first flight back home, but it was too late. By the time he arrived, his mother had passed away. His dad rushed him to the funeral hall so he could say his goodbyes to his mother. Daddy kissed his mother as she laid in the casket, brushed back her hair, only to notice she had no ear. This loving mother had given her ears so that he could have ears, so that he could have a new life. And isn't this the magnificent story of the gospel that the Lord Jesus gave his life that you and I may have life, that God demonstrated his great magnificent love by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross that you and I that we may have new life. When we think about the gospel, we may limit the gospel to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We may actually even limit the gospel to us having eternal life. But I want to suggest to us that, that the gospel is far more profound than that, that in the simplicity of the gospel, Jesus lived a sinless life. He died a horrific death and rose triumphantly. But in the complexity of the gospel, Jesus has accomplished so much for us. He, he has provided so much for us. One of the things that Jesus has provided for us is that he has provided rest for us. Rest. A rest that sleep cannot cure. A rest that a beautiful, wonderful beach vacation cannot cure. Jesus gives us a rest for our soul. A rest in that inner being. And this is what the book of Hebrews chapter 4 is telling us, that there is a rest for us. There is a rest that the Lord Jesus has provided for you and for I. But there are warnings. There is a concern. Look at verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still remains, or still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us 
fear. This is a strong word that the Holy Spirit uses to communicate this important message to us. We typically do not hear the Bible tell us to fear. We typically hear the Bible say, do not fear. But we understand that, that, that fear can be a healthy emotion. And we understand that fear can be an unhealthy emotion. The unhealthy emotion of fear actually will separate us from God. But this healthy fear will actually draw us near to God. Now, I know some of your Bibles may actually read, let us be careful, let us be concerned. But I think there is something good, something awakening, something shaking about this idea when the Bible says, let us fear. Let us fear that any of you should not seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear that we will not receive this blessed rest that the Lord has for us. Now, the book of Hebrews is not only a coffee book. Hebrews. It, 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 is, it is like sitting under the, 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 the lecture of a charismatic theologian inspired by the Holy Spirit. But really, the, the Holy Spirit is the theologian, and he is communicating to you and I a deep complexities of what Jesus has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. The truth that we want to grasp as we look at this passage, and I realize that the message may be muddy, but here is the truth that we want to grasp, is that our work is to continually enter into God's rest that we may have peace on our journey. This is it. Our work is to continually enter into God's rest that we may have peace on our journey. What we see as we look at this passage is that there is this Old Testament historical event that helps us to understand this deep theological, practical reality of us having rest in God. In my version, in this ESV version, verse one starts with the word therefore, and therefore is an indicator that we should go back to the previous verses in order to understand the totality of the thought, that we may get the full concept. It helps us when we go back to at least verses 16 through 19. And in those verses, it says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And when told was he provoked for 40 years, was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Verse 16 and 19 give us reference or point back to this important event in the life of the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers 14. It was there that God commanded Moses to identify 12 individuals who would be spies and they would go to the land of Canaan but it wasn't just that they would go to the land of Canaan. God says that this is the land that I'm going to give the people of Israel. God has spoken. He has said, I'm going to give them the land. And when the spies 
entered the land of Canaan. They observed the land and they noticed when they came back, they came back with a report. They said, we noticed that the land is good. The land is flowing with milk and honey. The land is blessed. But they said the problem is, is that the Nephilians are there. There, there are giants there. There are Victor Wimbiamis that are there. If you watch basketball, you know what I'm talking about. He said, there are all these giants that are there. There are these big people. They, they are strong. They have fortified cities. And all of the ites are there. It's the Amalekites, the Hoobasites, the Jewsites, and whatever other ites you want to say. They are all there. And they were supposed to come back with good news and great praise to God for what the Lord was going to do, where the Lord was going to take them. But instead, they returned with bad news. And not only did they bring bad news, but their bad news produced rebellion and doubt. And what our text says, disobedient. At first glance, you and I, we may look at this and we may think, what is the big deal? They were just stating the obvious. They were just stating the facts that the people were bigger than them, that the people were more sophisticated than them, that their cities were, were, were stronger. The problem is, is that the children of Israel, they had just experienced a big God. They, 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 they had just experienced a strong God. They had just experienced a promise-keeping God. It was God who sent Moses back to Egypt to stand before Pharaoh with the stick and the message that says, let my money go. I mean, let my people go. It was, it was, it was God that had Moses raised that stick when the Red Sea was in front of them and the Egyptians were behind them. And one part of the sea slid to the right. The other side slid to the left and they walked across on dry ground like they was marching in the graduation ceremony. They had experienced the bigness of God. They had experienced the strength of God and the power of God. God had already done too much in their lives for them to doubt God. And at this point, they should have had blessed assurance. Instead, they believed the bad news. See, they were faced with theories of choice. Either they would believe that God was telling them the truth and that God was going to give them this blessed land that flowed with milk and honey, or they could believe the bad news and embrace the thought that God and Moses were liars. The people believed the lie instead of believing God's truth. They believed the lie so much so that they said, listen, we're going to go back to Egypt. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to Egypt. We'll have a conversation with Pharaoh. We'll say, look, Pharaoh, we're sorry. We didn't mean to go. We really don't want to, you know, we, we're not following Moses anymore. We don't need to worship that God anymore. Hey, as many bricks as you want us to build, we'll build them. We like you. You're a good oppressor. We'll just, we'll, 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 we'll just stay with you. We, we'll, we'll go back to Egypt. We, we, we don't want to follow God anymore. They, they rebelled against God. They believed that it was better to be in Egypt than to follow God. And in Numbers, the Bible says that they rebelled against God. And here in Hebrews, it says that they were disobedient. Friends, this is a big deal. 
The reason why this is a big deal, because isn't this similar to what happened in the garden? That, that it, was, it was in the garden where Eve was there, that, that, that she also was faced with a series of choices. Do I believe that God is telling the truth? Or do I believe that Satan is telling the truth? And if we don't believe that God is speaking the truth, then we are actually calling God a liar. She chose to believe Satan instead of believing God. See, friends, text says, let us fear, because you and I can find ourselves believing, embracing, co-signing, and uniting the wrong message. Let us fear that we may see strong, giant, powerful people as city. Let us fear. You may be here today and you may be going through something and you're not sure how you can overcome it. You're not sure how you're going to resolve it. You're not sure if you're going to win it. Well, I'm not here to tell you that you can overcome it. I'm not here to tell you that you can resolve it. I'm not here to tell you that you can beat it. But what I am here to tell you is that God can. Because God is bigger than any trial. He is bigger than any problem. He is bigger than any earthly authorities. Yes, you and I, we can be consumed and overwhelmed by the giants that we see. But we must make sure that we don't focus on giant problems, but that we turn our attention to a giant God. See, we too can get distracted and focus on what we see instead of on what he said. He was going to give them the land. They should have focused on what he said and not on what they say. Let us fear that we don't enter and we don't receive what God has for us because we are focused on what we see and not on what he has said. What pastor shared on the Saturday as he was concluding his preparation for his Sunday sermon, that his daughter grabbed his Bible and it was in his Bible case. She was holding it by the handle, dragging it from one room to the other room. She dropped it down by the large table. And in his mind, he thought, let me get my girl and let me get my Bible. But then he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, no, 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 don't stop her. Just watch her. So he watched her. She dropped the Bible right next to the big table. She stepped up on the Bible. And then she reached up on the table. And she grabbed what she needed or what she wanted. And what the Holy Spirit said to him at that point is, is that this is how you need to stand on my word. You, if you stand on my word and if you trust my word, then you'll be able to reach and you'll be able to achieve things that you wouldn't be able to achieve on your own. You got to stand on the word of God. You got to use the word of God. You got to allow the word of God to lift you and to encourage you. And I believe as we look at Hebrews 4 is that, is that here that focus was on the giants and not on the word of God. This, this is why he says when, when we read further down 
In verse 7, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the word already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I know Father Aaron talked about hard heart already. But here it's interesting that we see heart chapter three, heart in chapter four. And I almost thought as we titled this sermon, we could call it heart time. Here, here, here he says the, the day you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. See what we what, what, what we gotta make sure we get the day you hear his voice. The, the day you hear his voice. The day you hear his voice. I don't know about you, but that, that, that still amazes me. That, 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 that still is mesmerizing to me that, that God would, would speak to me, that God would, would speak to us, that God would communicate to us. And the day we hear his voice, we should not take God's voice for granted. We should not take it as if, as if it is normal or, or that it is common. God is speaking to us. I was in a meeting a few weeks ago, and a gentleman said that, that he was doing something at his job, and he was working, and he said he had gotten a call from the White House. And it terrified him. And I was thinking, I've talked to someone who was in a house way greater than the White House. God says, the day you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I hear what you say, preachers. Well, how does God speak to us? God primarily speaks to us through his word. God primarily speaks, God will speak to us through the preached word. God, God will speak to us through situations and through circumstance. And God will speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so, so, so God will speak to us primarily through his word. He'll speak to us through the preach word. He'll speak to us through situations and through circumstances, and he will speak to us through the Holy Spirit. I want to tell us that there are at least two categories in which God speaks to us, in which this scripture, I believe, applies. One is it is in the category of salvation. It is in a category of salvation. That, that God does not speak to us in our natural ears, but God speaks to us in our hearts. He speaks to us in the depths of our soul. It is, it is a unique kind of communication. It is one of those communications where you just know that it is God. It is those moments in, in which God begins to call you unto himself. It is in those moments that he helps you understand the, 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 the deep gravity of your sin. It's in those moments that he helps us understand the magnificent love that he has for us and how he demonstrated that love by sending his only son, Jesus Christ. He speaks to us and he calls us to come to him. And the scripture here reminds us that, that he speaks to us on a day. And that day is called today. 
And it's on that day, today, when God speaks to you that the warning is, do not harden your hearts. Do not ignore God. Do not, do not push it off. Do not say, no, I'm, I'm going to listen to this another day. No, today, because we don't know if there will be another day. And actually, all we have is today. He says, today, today, when you hear his voice, it is clear that God is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. God is drawing you unto himself. It is the day which you must say yes to God. It is the day you must come running to God, saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I give you my life for the rest of my life. Have your way in my life. And the other category in which God speaks to us is through our sanctification or it's through our continual process of transformation. It is through our continual walk with the Lord. He, he, he speaks to us. And it's in those moments when God speaks to us that he invites us to join him in his work. He invites us to be a part of the family business. He calls us to step out of our comfort zones. He asks us to do things that we are not talented enough to do. He asks us to go places we are afraid to travel. He asks us to give what we don't even believe we have. He invites us to confront giants even though we don't believe we can defeat them. He speaks to us and tells us to trust him. If you don't believe me, ask Abraham. When he met Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and your kindred, and I want, to, want you to go to a land that I will show you. As Gideon. So Gideon, to send back the thousands upon thousands of soldiers, and I said, I just want you to fight with 300. As Peter, who was on the boat, he called him to step out to walk on water. Yes, God speaks and salvation to draw us to him. But see, he also speaks to, for us to make practical life decisions. We can harden our hearts for many reasons. Some of those reasons is because we believe we are alone. We believe that we are in this fight by ourselves. Can I tell you that may not be crying to people with you? But I want you to know that you and God are always the majority. That's so good, I'll just say it again. That you and God are always the majority. We are in our hearts because we're convinced that God will not intervene. We don't believe that, 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 that he will unleash his grace and his power and, and his miracles and his might. We are in our hearts. Because we believe that God is asking too much of us. That God, this is too much of a risk. This is too great of a risk. God, I only have faith in my mind. I don't really have faith in my hands, in my feet. It's too much of a risk. But what will happen if you really believe God? What will happen if you believe that God's word was the truth? What if you stood on his word? 
the little girl. Could you reach to? Could you? I know some of you say, look, Pastor, that, that there are some things that, that I feel like God is calling me to. That, 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 that there's something that I, I feel challenged about, but I am not sure. Can I tell you that God has no problem with you asking him for confirmation or affirmation and he'll give you animation? He has no problem with giving you confirmation. Just ask him. But here's the warning. Hard hearted people are hammered with anxiety, fear, and worry. Hard hearted people are hammered with anxiety, fear, and worry. The message here is that God wants to give you rest. God wants to give you peace. Rest and this peace comes from us totally trusting God. The rest here that the Bible speaks of, it is a ceasing from your own work. It speaks to enjoying the work that has already been completed. Here throughout this passage, there are several scripture references that I use to help us understand God's rest. In verse 4, we read, For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my wrath. God rested for the seventh day of working and creating the earth. But let's be certain that God works every day. God never takes a day off. He never sleeps and he never slumbers. He rested on the seventh day because he had completed his creation. He was still working because he still had to sustain the earth. But he rested in his work. His work was completed. And do you remember what God said after, he cre- after it, the end of every day of creation? He looked and he looked at his creation and he said, it is good. He rested in the good work. In verse 8, we read, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Joshua leading the children of Israel to the land of Cana was not giving them the rest that God has for them. See, friends, a new home doesn't give you rest. Plenty of land doesn't give you rest. Prosperity and success will give you rest. But there is another rest, a rest that we only find in Jesus Christ. God has another rest for us. And this rest is more significant than taking a day off. This rest is even more significant than a Sabbath day of rest. It is a Sabbath life. This is all about joining God and resting in the work that God has done. And verse 3 tells us that he finished his work before the foundation of the world. That was a young boy who applied for a farmhand job. And when the farmer asked him his qualifications for the job, the boy said, I can sleep through the storm. 
This puzzled the farmer. He didn't really know what this meant, but he liked the boy. He hired him anyway. A few weeks later, the farmer and the wife were awakened by a night, violent storm. It was ripping through the valley. He leaped out the bed and called for his new iron hand. But the young boy was sound asleep. So they quickly began to check things to see if everything was secure. They found the shutters in the farmhouse had been securely fastened. A good supply of logs had been set near the fireplace. The farmer and his wife then inspected their property. They found that the farm tools had been placed in the storage shed safely from all the elements. He seen that the bales of wheat had been bound and wrapped in tarps. The tractor had been moved into the garage. The barns were properly locked tight. And the animals were calm and well-fed. The farmer then understood the words of this young man, I can sleep through a storm. See, the young man had done the work so that he could enjoy the rest. I hope you got that. The young man had done the work so he could enjoy the rest. All I'm saying to you is that Jesus has done the work so that you and I can rest in him, our problem is, is that we're trying to do the work. We're trying to fix it. We're trying to resolve it. We're trying to revive it. We're trying to restore it. We're trying to refresh it. We're trying to kick down doors. We are trying to be the Lord. We want to be the king of all kings. We need to rest in his work. We do that by trusting him. In other words, if we're going to rest in his work as I get ready to take my seat, is that we need to do a few things. Well, we must believe that God is sovereign. That simply means that we believe that he is in control of all things. We must believe that God is sovereign and that he is in control of all things. He is in control of the good and the bad. Two, we must accept that his way and his will is what is best for us. Even when it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good. Can I tell you that you belong to God? That Jesus has purchased you, child of God, at a price? That there is nothing that happens in your life by random incident or coincidence. You are God's child. You are beloved. And so I must trust his will and I must trust his way. Even if it doesn't look good, even if it doesn't feel good, I must trust God in spite of it all. Last two months ago, I funeralized a young lady who was in her late 40s. She loved Jesus. Her family loved Jesus. She had been diagnosed with cancer a year prior. And this cancer invaded her body. And her passing away not only is troublesome to her 14-year-old and 11-year-old, but to a whole community of believers. But at her funeral, 
her husband stood up. And before he sang, he said, while my wife was taking chemo treatment, that every night we were singing this song, God is God. Friend, she knew that whatever was happening, God could. And she was able to find rest and peace. Her husband, her, her boys were able to find rest and peace and knowing that God is good. Three, we must not abandon God's word for our own logic. We must not ignore the word of God for human reasoning. The scripture tells us just how powerful the word of God is. It is sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing the soul and the sunder, judging the intents and the thoughts of the heart. We need the word of God so that we can know that we can rest in God. So we must not ignore the word of God, but we must continue to invite the word of God in our life and in our hearts so that our hearts may be softened. And then we may easily be able to hear the voice and the call of God in our lives. In verse 11, it says, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us strive. In other words, let us work. Our continual work must be to enter into God's rest. That, that, that must be what we must strive for, that, that we would be in God's presence, that, that, that we would be in his will, that we would find ourselves safe and secure under the sovereignty of God. When Jesus got in the boat with his disciples, he told them, let's go to the other side. They got in the boat and all of a sudden, the rain and the winds they started to do a dance. And that was a great storm. But Jesus had taken a pillow, gotten into the bottom of the boat, and got some rest. He went to sleep while his disciples were in a total panic. They assumed that they would die in the storm. And they were upset that Jesus was not concerned that they were going to die in the storm, how can you sleep when there's chaos that is going on all around? But they missed it. Jesus had already told them, we're going over. All they had to do was to stand on his word and they too could have found rest. They, 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 their first inclination should have been, I'm going where Jesus is. If Jesus is resting, then I'm resting. If Jesus is working, then I'm working. I want to be and do exactly what Jesus is doing. Our work must be to continually pursue God's rest. First Peter 3.10 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceitful. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Friends, in order to enter God's rest, which is God's peace, we must seek God's peace. We must seek his peace and we must pursue it. I don't know what it takes 
And what happens when you enter into that place, when you have this peace that you can't describe? Maybe for you, maybe it's when you are journaling. Maybe for you it's when you're fasting. Maybe for you it's when you're singing. Maybe it's when you're gathered around other believers. I was just talking to a young man who was incarcerated many years ago. And he was telling me on a Bible study, he said, he said, what I do when I feel like life is chaotic and I feel like I can see all of the giants and everything and everyone seems so big and so strong and so powerful and my doubts and my fears and my anxieties, they seem to overwhelm me and consume me. He said, I just find a place. And I start singing unto the Lord. I break out into personal worship before the Lord. And he says, I get refocused. My mind and my heart's attention is not on the pain, not on the problem, not on what I'm trying to fix and what I'm working on. But now my attention is set on Jesus Christ. And he says, at that moment, that I have peace. See, friends, Jesus' invitation to us has always come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. The Lord has a rest for us. But we must do the continual work of not looking to bless ourselves, not looking to open doors and to make way But our continual work is to enter into God's rest, to find out where God is and rest there, sleep there, be there, to enjoy it there, to continually come before Jesus and allow him to flood our lives with his remarkable, unexplainable, undeniable peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's what we rest in. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you give us rest. You give us peace. Father, people are trying to pay for peace. People are traveling the world looking for peace. People are taking medicine to find peace. Some are hurting themselves looking for peace. But Lord, I pray that if there's someone under the sound of my voice and they are yearning for this peace, they are yearning for this rest, I pray, Lord, that they would come running to you, knowing, Lord, that your name is the strong power. And the righteous run to it at said. I pray, Father, as all of us who are children of God, born again, baptized believers, help us to not to focus on the giants. Help us not to have hard hearts. But help us to stand on your word and to continually seek your peace, your presence, and your rest. We pray this in Jesus' name.